Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Coming up on this week's show, our first impressions of CBS's UEFA coverage, the innovations we love from the MLS's back tournament, Nicholas Anelka comes to Netflix, the Brazilian League returns to the United States, plus we have letters from you listeners in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, aka The Gaffer, joined alongside my co-host Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, uh, the time has come. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, CBS Sports has launched their UEFA coverage, which we'll get to in a little bit. But I want to start with uh, Major League Soccer. And I, I have mixed, mixed emotions on this one, Kartik, because before this tournament started, I felt it was contrived. I, I was um, you mean, not enthusiastic about it. And uh, the group stage was was pretty rough. There were some poor teams. The level of football was was below average. Um, and but as that tournament has gone on and on, um, I've warmed up to it. I've actually I'm watching more and more of it. Um, the quality level has improved dramatically. Uh, the matches are really really close. Um, the refereeing's gotten better. Uh, I've got. Uh, really kind of used to the television coverage in terms of how different it is and can appreciate a lot of other things. But before we get into the innovations, my issue now, Kartik, is that um, I think MLS, they should, they, they should basically, once this tournament is done, is they're on a high. They've been able to achieve something that uh, no other US major league has done thus far, which is to have a controlled bubble and have this tournament uh, played. Uh, which has been pretty much flawless, except for a couple of uh, uh, things. I, I, I think they should basically call it a day and say, okay, this is the season, that's it. However, I mean, Don Garbo was on television last night saying, hey, we're getting ready to go back and, and play the rest of the, the season in the home markets. What do you think? Yeah, because, of course, uh, Major League Baseball and USL, who've done that, things are going perfectly for them, right? Yeah, right. I, yeah, it, it's... I. I 
was shocked. I mean, it's kind of incredulous because this is what I discussed the other night on another show was that MLS has created so much goodwill with this tournament. They've done right by Black Lives Matter, which is important to a lot of their fan base. They have taken the proper coronavirus protocols to where, yeah, there were some early kinks, but the uh, but then once everybody was incubated in the bubble, they've had no problems. They've shown how well it can be done, how effectively it can be done, and they've done it right, uh, which has endeared them to a lot of people, including myself, who thought this is a very reckless approach when we see much more reckless approaches, as I mentioned, from Major League Baseball and from USL. Uh, The quality of football has been pretty good. To, uh, by my uh, by my standard, and, and and you've just laid out what you think that, yep. that it's gotten better as the tournament's gone on. The the, the storylines in the tournament have been compelling. The television coverage has uh, added all of these new innovations and wrinkles that we didn't have before, and it's just elevated for a lot of us the way major, we perceive Major League Soccer. All of that goodwill. And, and that's a lot. And that's a lot for this league in particular because this league has had you know such a bumpy relationship, I think, with core soccer fans. Gets put uh, 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 in jeopardy if they go back to home markets and there is some sort of problem. And there will be some sort of problem. There will be some place where uh, uh, there is a COVID outbreak or there is some incident related to COVID and it puts everything in jeopardy. In addition, we have three Canadian teams who I believe because of the travel restrictions and because Canada uh, has done a very, very good job of uh, uh, countering coronavirus. Uh, I'm not sure the specifics of this because Garber just gave his uh, comments during the, the, the Philadelphia Portland match, which was, uh, we're taping this Thursday morning. That was uh, Wednesday night. Uh, I, I, the Canadian Premier League is restarting in a bubble on Prince Edward Island, which is uh, kind of an isolated part of Canada as maybe most of our listeners know where there's very little travel in and out anyway. And, uh, that is, uh, in a country that has, uh, has less cases, Canada as a nation has less coronavirus cases than the three counties of Southeastern Florida, where I live and where you used to live. Um, so if you combine Palm beach, Broward, Miami, Dade, those three counties have more cases, coronavirus cases than the entirety of Canada. Uh, yet Canada is being very vigilant. So there is, no, there is almost no chance Toronto FC uh, is going to be allowed to host matches with uh, teams coming from the states. Uh, the uh, province of Ontario is very clear about their their views of that. Uh, I do not think Montreal and Vancouver will be able to either. So they may either have to join that bubble uh, for their own matches and play one another uh, at Prince Edward Island, or just play one another in home site uh, venues, or not have any home games and be on the road in the U.S., which I don't think they want. So there are there are complications with this as a cross border league, and there are complications with this based on uh, everything going on in terms of coronavirus in the country. And uh, I it, it would just be a pity, Chris, because MLS has done such a good job uh, of, of of elevating their stock, creating some goodwill. Uh, doing the right thing in the face of a lot of adversity mm-hmm. and all of that is in jeopardy if they resume the season. And uh, I, I understand there's a revenue shortfall, but um, you know what? They should just uh, uh, accept the revenue shortfall and take the, the victory. And, and, and they can even do a victory lap about how this tournament has gone and how well this tournament has been perceived. If they don't do that and then they restart, there'll never be a victory lap for this tournament because things will blow up on them. Yeah, I think I think in many ways it should be that they should get out while the going is good, uh, in terms of uh, being able to be in that bubble in a controlled environment, and they've had zero um, 
COVID cases for for quite some time now. And it is one of those things, Kartik, in the history of things, looking back at this this year, the 2020 season of Major League Soccer, is that, um, you mean, if the, if the league does continue and it becomes a mess, like it is with baseball, with games being postponed at the last minute and, you mean, teams getting... Um, I mean, kind of the the coronavirus kind of raging through through certain clubs. Uh, it could be a really negative uh, end to the season, and and I don't know. I, t- to me, I, I would if I was Major League Soccer, I'd say, hey, we did a great job. Um, it wasn't perfect, but let's go ahead and uh, begin again next year, and 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 let's let's focus on trying to get everything lined up. And and I think Garber has said what he said on Fox uh, with, with uh, Alexi Lalas and Rob Stone, which is, I think, a little different than the kind of interview he'd have and maybe um, the way the follow-up would be if he had done the interview with Taylor Tolman and John Champion, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, had said these same things with them. I, I wonder if it's just a... Um, if they're just kind of punting to say, yeah, we, you know, we, we, we want to restart the season and then they'll come out after the final um, and say, hey, you know, after talking to our owners, uh, the owner, let's say they take a a board board vote among the owners after talking to health officials in our areas uh, we're going to uh, we're going to pause a little longer well, uh, maybe that maybe he's just positioning for that although it didn't sound like that I'm just yeah maybe being right optimistic. well well supposedly I mean there's been um, no leaks yet but we we know that behind the scenes the the August 15th is the date for the restart uh, previously about a week ago it was August 22nd so they have the schedules done or they're at least uh, reviewing those schedules so it's a matter of I, th- I think in many ways it's a matter of waiting for this tournament to be done and then starting back up again but the tournament ends on what Tuesday the 11th uh, right. which you can imagine too as far as okay you know, here's the winners and uh, now good news is we're going to start back up again a few days later so uh, fr- from a TV perspective though Kartik uh, since this is the podcast about kind of the soccer media I'll give him full credit. I mean, the audio of the uh, video assistant referee decisions is, I, I mean, that's absolutely amazing. That That is uh, state-of-the-art. That is uh, top-shelf, world-class, how they've been able to go ahead and, and work with um, the referees and uh, to be able for the viewer, for the, the actual viewer to be watching it and, and hearing what they're saying, hearing the discussions, seeing the video going back and forth and coming to hearing how they come to the decision. And that gives so much more transparency. And, and hopefully this is something that FIFA and the other leagues around the world adopt, because this to me was, was fantastic. The other thing, too, I mean, some of the other things, too, Kartik, from the um, coronavirus, oh, I was going to say the coronavirus cup, from the MLS's back tournament is some of the other uh, innovations. I, at, at first, I wasn't a big fan of the, being able to listen into the hydration breaks and hearing the coaches because oftentimes there was really nothing much being said. But there have been times where in those hydration breaks, I mean, whether, whether it's, I don't know, Jim Curtin or... or uh, Gio Savaresi or whoever it may be, but hearing some of the things that they're sa- saying, or sometimes hearing some of the things they're not saying, uh, and and getting a really a bird's eye view into hearing what the coaches are instructing their players to do, that has been off the charts. Uh, at the times, at times, really, really good for me personally. Watching um, into Miami and hearing Diego Alonso, the coach. Uh, in those hydration breaks and giving those talks, it's interesting to, because it's all in Spanish and there's no um, English translator. 
So for, I don't know, Lewis Morgan or some of the players on Inter Miami that may not speak or understand Spanish, uh, there's definitely, that doesn't work, I don't believe. Uh, I think one of the other teams had, had the, the translator, I think it was San Jose, had the translator as, as soon as Almeida was saying what he's saying. Instantly, the, there's uh, the assistants uh, translating it into English. And I thought that was really enlightening. How about, how about you, Karthik? Some of the things, some of the innovations from this tournament that uh, you've liked from a, from a TV perspective? Yeah, so I, I've loved the audio on the VAR decisions. I think that's been, uh, that's been really uh, uh, well done, although uh, for whatever reason, we didn't quite get that uh, during the uh, Philadelphia-Portland game on the critical decision on the offside call. Uh, I, I, I've, I've liked the hydration break coaching. I've liked the... the uh, the natural audio, I, I don't. Uh, Fox and 2DNA have chosen uh, the, the different feed with the piped in audio noise, which I, I'm not as wild about uh, because uh, I think. What what ends up happening is, uh, and and you know we can talk. We'll talk about Europa League in a minute. But uh, I think what ends up happening is those natural sounds of the game have gone really well with Twelman and Champions commentary, uh, and and I think that it may have been worked out the same way for for Strong and, and Holden had they uh, done that. I, I've uh, I've really liked the camera work, right? And I've talked about this before on Twitter and, and gotten a lot of pushback, mostly from pro rel people who don't like MLS and just will either like to criticize anything MLS does. But I, I think that some of the the drone angle. Uh, the drone captures and some of the uh, the wide angles have been more frequent and better from kind of a tactical uh, trying to employ a, a tactical thoughts than you do when you get the the cutouts for European matches. You do get some of those angles in European matches, but not as frequently. Uh, and I I don't know if you get uh, as many of them. So I, I've really enjoyed that, and I think that that's a a new way to uh, to broadcast the sport and really. Uh, enjoy that as someone who who likes to go to games and likes to uh, see live football i think that's an innovation and that's another thing so mls has that innovation now in their tv package in their tv repertoire it's less critical to have games in front of fans at least from a football perspective when you have those sorts of camera angles and people who are accustomed to being at matches can see kind of what's going on off the ball and get that sort of uh uh, that's that that sort of uh, uh, build up, and we saw that even in in uh, there was a game between San Jose and Vancouver in the group stage where uh, they had uh, the entire kind of field, the entire pitch covered by cameras. Uh, on a counterattack goal. So you saw everything. You saw the guys making the run off the balls. You saw ball. You saw where the, uh, where the defenders were when the ball, when the giveaway happened and their positioning. And that's stuff that usually you need uh, several replays in a match from, let's say the Premier League or the Bundesliga to see. Uh, so that was, I thought really cool. And I hope uh, MLS uh, and, and ESPN persist with those, uh, with those camera angles. It is possible. It's just for this tournament. They put a lot more in terms of TV resources into this tournament tournament it feels like than they normally do for oh, yeah. mls yeah, and, and that's another thing about this time. tournament when we talk about the return of uh, mls regular season i think you just revert back to the kind of tv coverage you used to have which quite frankly is inferior to what we've seen this month this month has been great yeah absolutely yeah and and the thing about the the drone cam to kartik is i think i think it was like last week or a couple of weeks ago i was saying like I don't understand what the whole the whole uh, excitement is about. It, to me, this looks like a, a normal game. But to me, the drone cams are almost like a, a helicopter cam. You mean like sometimes you'll see? Well, well actually, the, <clears throat> the drone cams are actually better than the helicopter cam because, <clears throat> like sometimes for Premier League matches, you'll have a helicopter viewpoint and it looks above, and you really just see the stadium and maybe the fans filtering in or f- filtering out. 
uh, you don't see the tactical side of things. So with the drone cam, they're able to go a little bit uh, closer to the field of action, and you can see kind of uh, formation, lineup. You mean where where the players are on on the pitch? Um, I'd like to see more of that. But like you said, too, Kartik, is once the season starts, if it starts, when it starts, it's not going to be there. And and that's the thing, though, Kartik, is that. Um, I've warmed up to MLS's back as the tournament has gone on. And um, I think the, the driving factor, the reason that Major League Soccer is wanting to have this league continue uh, beyond MLS's back is because of ticket revenue. Is because this league depends more on, on ticket revenue than any other major soccer league. Most of the other major, major soccer leagues have massive TV contracts. MLS does not. I mean, hopefully the next deal will, will be much uh, bigger and uh, higher value, but this one does not. So they're uh, not not that they're forced into doing this, Kartik. It, it's just it's. Um, I, I still think it, it's the wrong decision um, at this point in time with everything that's going on in, in this country, and you mean in terms of comparing it to other countries from around the world. One more thing. One, yeah, here's a. One more thing, just one more thing as far as the innovations, let me, let me just finish off on innovations, is the, the Jumbotrons. I, I give full credit to the Jumbotrons because they're virtual. They, they, they are not there. So if you go to ESPN Wide World of Sports and you're walking around the fields after this tournament is over, you'll see no massive Jumbotrons. Those are virtual. Those are actually created, you mean, by computers. And, and, and that is a huge innovation too. Um, whether or not they can use that in the future somehow, I'm sure they'll figure out a way. But that, that to me was a great innovation from MLS back. And, and, and you mean, I've really, like before the tournament started, I was not a fan. I'm a fan of MLS's back now. And I'm looking forward to next season, hopefully next year. But it's, it's looking like it's going to be this season. And I'm not as excited with the prospect of that. Yeah, I, I um, I, the thing I was going to interject was about uh, uh, what what sits next to those jumbotrons, which is uh, a, a board showing uh, local sponsors, and I think that that's very important from a monetization and local television standpoint. Uh, those sponsors getting uh, that would normally get local airtime in the Seattle market or, or the Orlando market or whichever market, getting national airtime, uh, that, that's part of the way you kind of offset the losses of not having home matches. Uh, in terms of them needing ticket revenue, I think there it, it depends on on the location, but I think in a lot of places people are gun shy about going returning to a to a to a spectator event, a sporting event. So uh, it, this may not work out as they they think it will. Uh, the attendances for USL have not been particularly good since they've restarted. Uh, that's a league entirely dependent on ticket revenue. So uh, MLS has other revenue streams, and, and and a lot of them have been activated in this tournament. So I would say that that's uh, that's something uh, that that's different. And then the last thing I would uh, mention about the television coverage of this tournament very first couple nights i want to say first maybe three matches or first two matches there was that huge adidas superimposed logo in the center circle they understood i think that it was too big it looked too fake Uh, they then toned it down the adidas logo has continued in the center circle on television broadcasts virtual again it's not uh, actually there i don't believe maybe Mm -hmm. maybe it is no it's virtual Uh, but no, it's virtual. That's what I thought because yeah. they, toned, they toned it down. But now I've gotten used to it because it's small. It was intrusive those first couple matches, and it was because they had made it so big. Once they toned down that graphic, uh, that's another innovation, I guess, and another way that maybe in the future broadcasters can monetize uh, uh, 
wow. so- selling soccer and prevent. Uh, and the reason I'm, I'm, I'm so uh, sweaty about this uh, monetization in terms of the center circle and the local sponsors in terms of MLS is back is I, I have this concern that as time goes on, Advertise, uh, networks are going to want to try and push commercials into soccer matches. So this is one way of avoiding it. It is, yeah, it is one way of avoiding it, and I think it's a good uh, trial for the future. the The challenge is is that uh, any match that's uh, kind of accredited by FIFA, you know, from international matches down to league matches or official league matches, uh, cannot have any advertising on the pitch itself. But it is a good trial because that's given FIFA at least the ammunition, for lack of a better word, uh, to say like, oh, maybe in the future we can actually go ahead and trial this. And knowing FIFA, they'll have their FIFA. For approved sponsors that are the uh, I don't know Pepsi Colas of the world or whatever they'll do some massive major deals and then, and that's something I could see at a, at a future World Cup and that would be an innovation that came from Major League Soccer um, so yeah I'll, I'll give them full credit and, and um, I've enjoyed the tournament thus far it hasn't been the greatest tournament by any means but the level of competition has gotten better as it's gone along speaking of uh, competition getting better as it went along. Except for the final, I'd say that the championship and the championship has been a fantastic season this season. Uh, the final to me was really just um, Fulham did a great job of uh, just stop preventing Brentford from those high flying attacks. And, and uh, the match really didn't come alive until in the extra time and the goal. And then all, all of a sudden. Uh, from that free kick, uh, that opened everything up where the game became more open and it became more attacking. Um, up until that point, it was a pretty turgid affair. It was just really, really tense. Uh, as most championship playoff finals are, Kartik. Uh, any yeah. insights from you, from your point of view on this one? Yeah, I mean, I, I was frustrated because I really wanted to see Brentford go up. Or, or I should say probably partly did not want to see Fulham go up because of the kind of football they played all season in the championship. But this was very reminiscent of uh, uh, the West Ham Blackpool final uh, several years ago when uh, Ian Holloway had Blackpool set up to really kind of play intricate football. Allardyce had West Ham set up to defend and West Ham ended up nicking it at the end. Uh, there was also a final involving Palace. Was it Palace and Watford? Was that that final? Yeah. That was really cagey. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Palace ended up winning an extra time on a penalty. Uh, this match... Uh, Parker set up Fulham perfectly, right? And he's become very good at that. And I'm very happy for him because I'm glad to see a, an English player I really liked as a coach. Uh, sorry, an English coach who I really liked as a player uh, come good as a coach because there have been too few of those guys, I think. Uh, it, to me, it's very important that, just like it's very important to me that American managers get a chance in, in Major League Soccer. And Jim Curtin has done very well with Philadelphia. And uh, I would say the same thing with, uh, even though he's not American, but he's an MLS guy, Oscar Perea uh, with uh, Orlando. Orlando. To me, it's very important that kind of homegrown managers get a chance. And P- Scotty Parker was such a phenomenally good central midfield player, I think perennially underrated throughout his career. I'm happy for him. Uh, but the, the, the reality is they've been very negative and they wanted to, uh, the entire season and going into this final. And I had watched these two teams play each other. I want to say it was right before the COVID break. Maybe it was after. No, I think it was right before. Mm-hmm. And Brentford just pulled them apart, right? Uh, pass, pass, movement. Yeah, it was like 3-0 or yeah. something like that, right? Yeah, you know, Rico uh, Henry going down the left side, putting in, like, not even crosses, but these kind of diagonal uh, balls that are that are low to the ground, finding Watkins, finding their other attacking players. So I knew what Brentford could do to Fulham and how they could tear him apart because I'd watched that game. And I think the commentator, who was Steve Wilson, 
Yep. Was expecting the same thing, right? right? So he's paired with Paul Konchesky, who's a former Fulham player, of course, uh, and, and played for several teams in the London area also, and obviously played for Liverpool at one point as well. Uh, but he, he, I think they were both kind of frustrated by um, Brentford's tension or uh, unwillingness uh, to, to, to shoot from distance. They were, they were trying to play that last intricate ball. There was an uh, uh, incredible chance for Watkins within a minute of the restart of mm-hmm. extra time yeah. that when he, that he normally would have taken and, and had he taken it, it would have been a completely different uh, situation. But yeah, this is what happened. Playoff finals in the championship after a great season, a season where I would say uh, it was either the most entertaining league in the world or the second most entertaining in the league, league in the world. I would say Serie A was up there too. Uh, was a real letdown. That uh, on that theme, the Serie A final weekend was also a real letdown. Yeah. <laughs> that was this past yeah. weekend, yeah. and uh, uh, the Inter Atalanta game was 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 very good. I watched that match, but the rest of the matches were not very good. I want to mention for our listeners out there that may not be watching Serie A, Ashley Young looks like a young Ashley Young again <laughs> playing in that league, and it was phenomenal in that match against Atalanta. I would say he was probably the best player on the pitch for either team that's uh high praise at his uh at his age he's 34 35 now but it also shows english players can move abroad later in their career we've seen it with uh, chris smalling as well yeah and do quite well that's the th- that's the thing about nbc when they created that championship sunday is that it felt very american in in the term in terms of the final day of the season being the most important. And you look at, say, I don't know, the World Series, or you look at the Super Bowl, or you look at uh, different American sporting events where that final day is, that's the, that's the final final. That's the, the championship. That's the, and, and oftentimes in soccer, the final day of a season or the final game in, in a final is, is usually underwhelming. And we've seen that with World Cup finals too, where there have been some fantastic teams coming in through the semifinals, and you're so excited for that final. And just it's it's a letdown i mean the same thing from this past weekend i, I, I agree with you about Serie A, but same thing from this past weekend with uh, leon against psg in the uh, coupe de la league final that was really cagey too and it was nil nil in regulation nil nil after extra time went to penalty kicks um the uh taca de Port- portugal the the portuguese cup game between benfica and porto that one was really kind of a, a one-sided affair for Porto. Benfica didn't seem to be in, in it that that much. Uh, and I think one of the Porto uh, players got uh, red-carded. I think the coach got red-carded too. And still, it was, seemed to be a, a pretty a walk in the park. It wasn't a really two-sided, exciting, down-to-the-minute, like really, really kind of fun final Um so I, I think that's that's learning lessons too. Same thing with with the Premier League too. We talked about that last week. Is that oftentimes those final days of the season are, are a letdown. That Man City against QPR, legendary game on the final day of the season, way back when. That's that that doesn't happen that often. That happens like one, sometimes like once in a lifetime. But but, but similarly, uh, the game that took place at the very same time, the, the match that whose, which result was also critical was the Sunderland Man United match yep. uh, in 2012. And that was uh, an awful match. Yeah. It, it was yeah. just dour. And yep. that happens a lot on, on final days of the season. The other thing we see in the Premier League is that we'll get these 4-1 uh, and uh, 5-2 type matches when there's nothing on the line. I mean, I remember there was a great match and it turned out to be Sir Alex Ferguson's last match between West Brom and uh, uh, Man United. In 2013, which was 4-4 or 5-5, because both teams are never, you know, they're just playing, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing really on the line, uh, which uh, um, 
is, is something that that kind of happened in the uh, Atalanta Inter match. I, I mean, I suppose that match was for second, which is for pride, but both teams had their Champions League spots wrapped up. Uh, both teams were too far behind Juventus to catch them. Um, I, 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 I don't want to elaborate on this. We're, 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 we're uh, obviously focused on broadcast, but I still think back to the match that got rescheduled between Inter and Juventus. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, yeah. it was the last match played before COVID, and Juventus won. And the match should not have been played, and Inter was in an area at the time that was being much more uh, impacted by COVID. Remember, that guy, match got delayed by a week, and then mm-hmm. they moved the game up. And, and Juventus won, and Juventus won the title by one point. So I, I think Antonio Conte uh, probably would have uh, thought that maybe if that match had been delayed, as it should have been to June, when the league restarted, maybe Inter gets the result they need and they win the title. But who knows? I mean, because the rest of the season played out after that and, and maybe it plays out the same way or plays out differently. But yep. I was thinking about that when uh, Inter beat Atalanta and we look, you, you know, history will record in the final table that it was a one-point. Uh, Juventus won the league by one point, right? Yeah. Uh, there was also that handball, very <laughs> controversial handball, right, at the end of the Juve-Atalanta match, which uh, salvaged a point for Juventus and essentially took two points away from Atalanta. So uh, Serie A was very exciting this season. Does ESPN have a winner in Serie A going into next season based on how good this season was? That remains to be seen, I think, from the television angle. That's very interesting to me because I think uh, there has definitely been an uptick in Serie A ratings, as, as, as we've seen, mm-hmm. Chris. Yeah. The question is, is that sustainable or is that just a restart bump because they were showing so many games on regular, uh, on, on, on regular linear ESPN and ESPN2? I'm not sure. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it is that uh, for the new season. I think even with the Bundesliga, a lot of fans will go into it, go into it with uh, hopes and aspirations that it'll be a different team that wins the title this season. It, it, it won't be Bayern Munich. It won't be Juventus. It'll be, I mean, Dortmund or it'll be Atalanta or, or somebody. And so I think <clears throat> initially the, those um, viewing numbers. Uh, for those games, which we won't see if they're on ESPN Plus, no one will see other than ESPN Plus. Those numbers should be greater, and I, and I think Serie A has definitely won over a lot more fans this season. And having some of those games on over the uh, over there on ESPN and ESPN Two, uh, <clears throat> especially during the uh, the coronavirus kind of pandemic, has helped uh, Serie A. Uh, and now speaking of Inter Milan, Kartik, let's move into the Europa League. And let's move into talking about CBS's coverage yeah. of the UEFA Europa, Europa League that began Wednesday. We're recording this on Thursday morning, so um, we won't know what the, the coverage is like on Thursday afternoon. Uh, and having said that, too, we won't know on Friday's uh, coverage what it's like of the Champions League. So a lot of listeners that are tuning in and listening right now will already know how good or how bad or how ind- indifferent it is. Um, my, my first impressions were positive, really, really positive yeah. in many different ways. Yes, there are things that need to be worked out. Some things were a little bit clunky. But for a first day, a brand new broadcaster uh, who's been thrown into this, who, I mean, up until what, just about a month ago, it was going to be Turner and BR Live doing it until they, they kind of uh, sent those uh, rights back to UEFA. And UEFA had to spin those around and uh, have CBS buy them out. But uh, there's a bunch of different ways we can go on this. One thing I'll, I'll mention, Kartik, and I'm not sure if you saw this this morning, but uh, as far as the appointments that uh, CBS Sports have made, as far as the talent, uh, one of the, the latest ones is Jim Begling, 
so they, they've signed uh, Jim Beglin uh, for the rest of the season to be a co-commentator for CBS Sports. His debut for CBS Sports is going to be the Barcelona against Napoli game. So he's going to be paired with Peter Drury. So uh, in many ways, Kartik, I think that uh, CBS seems to be following a, an NBC Sports model rather than, say, a TNT model or a Fox model. And they're looking at getting the best talent available. Oftentimes, it's English-speaking or uh, uh, talent from England. But from what I've seen so far, as far as the hires that they've made, I've been really, really impressed. What about about you? Yeah, I have been too. Peter Peter Drury, of course, called uh, the famous, and maybe his most famous call uh, was in the Roma second leg upset of Barcelona several years ago. So uh, you're saying that he's calling another match between uh, kind of an Italian upstart because Napoli uh, has not, uh, is not, has not won a league, (laughs) you know, in ages, but uh, like Roma, Roma had the one league title uh, in the, in the late nineties. Um, against Barcelona, and that was one of the epic... Uh, well, now that I think about it, that was only a few years ago, right? That was like yeah, three seasons ago. Like but, two, two years um, ago, yeah. Two years, yeah. But he, uh, that, I think, is maybe Peter Drury's epic call, right? Was uh, w- w- was the way he called Roma's comeback in the second half of the second leg uh, in Rome. So I, I think it's really cool he's calling Napoli Barcelona. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, the... Uh, Barcelona comes in as a favorite, but Napoli has an opportunity, and I think uh, Gattuso has been fine-tuning the team specifically for this for this match in mind. So that's that's neat. Um, CBS, I, I think, uh, has done some really interesting things. So uh, first off, CBS All Access. Uh, accessing, accessing it for uh, uh, the Wolfsburg Shakhtar match and then the Inter Hetafe match. And I thought Inter Hetafe uh, is, in terms of what the draw provided us for Europa League, the best match, yep. right? Of of of, of, uh, of the entire tournament to this point. It was supposed to be two legs, right? But it ends up being uh, just this one match. Was um, was really good. Now. Um, Finding things on CBS All Access is pretty easy, and I had found the Europa League first thing in the morning yesterday. And then let me explain what happened after. So then I, um, I, I have no problem finding it. I turn on the Wolfsburg-Shakhtar match. Um, I see, I get an alert from CNN that Dr. Fauci is on, is doing an interview uh, on CNN Live. So I switch from my, off of my uh uh, my auxiliary channels, you know, the, the HDMI uh, with the CBS All Access to, to the regular, yeah, to the regular direct TV. I switch back and I can't find the match. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not on. It's not streaming anymore for me. I go through the CBS All Access uh, platform, try and look up Europa League the same way I had, look, I had found it in the morning. And it's not showing up. There's uh, no there's no Europa League listed as a show. I can't find a live stream of it, uh, etc. I uh, am really frustrated at that point, thinking I'm not going to see the match. I then decide to get kind of clever, or just maybe out of desperation, I, I type in UEFA Champions League, Champions League icon pops up, uh, and then click on it, and it's got all the... The, the Champions League upcoming and and, uh, and and the draw and all of that. And then it's it, there's a little thing that says related. So I click on related. There's Europa League. Yep. <laughs> From that point on, I was fine, right? See, and, see, and, see Karte, that's your punishment for for not watching the game and going to CNN and coming back. So that's your fault. Yeah, yeah. That was, <laughs> that was the punishment. Uh, but then after that, it was fine. And then overnight, uh, this morning, I should say, uh, before we recorded, I watched uh, – I had taped – CBS Sports Network. They had uh, two matches, uh, and it turned out to be uh, uh, the Manchester United match, uh, and then the uh, um, 
the Inter Hatafe match shown again uh, on CBS Sports Network. It was uh, streamed. It was shown on CBS Sports Network the same way it was on um, on CBS All Access. However, in between they had a show uh, which appeared to be produced by UEFA. Mm-hmm. Uh, with all of the match highlights. So you got hmm. uh, all four matches and you got uh, the extended commentary and extended highlights of 30, 30 minutes. And I would say it was uh, about seven or eight minutes on each match, or maybe not that many, maybe about five minutes on each match uh, and, and commercials. And it was something that uh, we never saw Turner show during the entire time. Well, like when I say the entire time, it was a season and a half. Uh, and I, and I'm not sure if Fox showed that show. Maybe they did. Um, at some isolated time, but that was a really neat treat. So I assume if you go, if you, if you guys download this podcast as soon as we release it and you go on your program guide and you have CBS sports network, they probably have the same thing in the overnight hours, Friday morning uh, around 2 AM or so. And Uh, just set your DVR and record it and and you'll get the full uh, extended highlights. And I, and I I have to look on my program guide and see if they're doing it for uh, champions league also, because I did it, uh, in advance for this just because I want to see the first day. But now I'm realizing this is something that's probably useful if they show it the rest of uh, August. Yeah, that's a huge positive too, Kartik. For, uh, that's something that we, we got used to with FS1 and FS2. There's that if you did, or even Fox Soccer Channel, if you did miss a live game <clears throat> later that day or in the middle of the night, they'd have a replay of it. So, and that's something that were, was missing from TNT. Um, so that will definitely win over a lot of fans who may want to go back and watch the game or, or like you, watch some of the halftime coverage that might be a little bit different than what they're seeing. Uh, for me personally, I signed up through CBS All Access for the annual plan yesterday. I said, you mean, screw it. I'm, I'm just going to sign up for the whole year, get get the savings. It's like a 15% discount. Uh, what I did notice is that um, the CBS All Access experience is quite different on each device. So I, uh, through the web device, you mean it's, yeah, it's a little bit clunky sometimes to find uh, what you're looking for. Other times I go in and, and it's right there. I see yeah. it. So it's I think that's going to take a little bit of a while to get used to or a little bit of a while for CBS to optimize that. But then looking at on a Roku, it looks completely different. And then looking at it on Amazon Fire uh, TV stick, uh, that looks different too. So uh, it's not like with some, say Netflix. Netflix is probably an example of where it's pretty uh, similar across all platforms. Uh, with this one, it's a little bit different. So I think there was one time, too, that same thing for me, too. I, I was watching one of the games. I think it might have been uh, Man United against, against uh, LASK. And I was like, ah, this game, I, f- I forgot it was such a one-sided affair in the first leg. Let me go ahead and switch it over to Inter against Getafe. And I couldn't find it. It wasn't listed in, in the listings on CBS All Access for that Europa mm. League game, even though it was on right then. So I went back. Uh, to the main menu, and then I think I might have typed in UEFA or Europa or something, and then I found it. So a little bit clunky. It's the first day, so probably a lot of these things will be worked out um, day two, which, again, we're recording this podcast. And as it goes along, I'm sure it's going to be much smoother. But I had no technical problems, no issues with buffering, no issues with uh, error messages or anything crashing, anything like that. Um, this, that is so important, Chris. Yeah, uh, sorry, sure. uh, I just want to jump in on that because uh, what ended up happening the last year and a half was that I would at times intend to watch Europa League on VR Live, 
and uh, there would be buffering, there would be some sort of clunkiness, uh, the stream would be uh, lost, and I'd be say, oh, you know what, forget it, I'm just going to turn 2DNA on, and then when uh, a zone of football uh, became uh, a thing, I just was, you know, forget it, I'm not going to watch this competition at all in English on VR Live uh, or on Turner. So uh, CBS's first impression when you talk about the lack of buffering and the, how smooth the streams are, completely different than what we experienced with Turner, and uh, that means people like me are more likely to continue to watch this tournament in English because I will confess, and I think I've said this on the show before, after a certain point, the first season Turner had this competition, I was watching it exclusively in Spanish. I was watching it exclusively on 2DNA. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 and, that, and I'm an English speaker, right? I mean, my Spanish is very poor. Uh, but I, I don't think CBS is going to have that problem. Maybe they understood they had to set the tone from the beginning because there had been so many people who had defected to 2DNA and Univision and, and Unimas and uh, Galavision, whoever else was showing the matches, the uh, Univision family of networks uh, from Turner. Yeah, I think Univision this go around has a much tougher uh, opposition or competition where you have a broadcaster that uh, has a lot more of a stable and robust and reliable streaming solution. So if you're a cord cutter or somebody who you mean likes to watch things on your mobile phone or tablet or on your, on, on your smart TV, or uh, you mean be able to, to go ahead and... I mean, with CBS All Access, it has Chromecast built in, so you can always cast it to your big television set or your monitors, whatever it may be. Uh, it's definitely going to be a huge um, rival for Univision. The other thing, too, I think the talent is a big thing for CBS. Um, by them going out and hiring some of the best of the best commentators and talent from around the world to be featured in this coverage of the UEFA Champions League and Europa League, uh, that is that is a de- deciding factor, I think, for a lot of people, myself included. So uh, what we know is that, again, we're recording this on Thursday. Wednesday and Thursday, CBS, um, the talent teams are in London and they're rehearsing. So their coverage uh, from the talent studio, from the studio, will begin on Friday, the Champions League. And then Europa League, they will have the, the, the same talent or many of the same talent on Monday for the quarterfinals. And for all the Europa League games and all of the Champions League games, um, they will have the full cast. The full cast uh, includes Roberto Martinez, Jamie Carragher, Peter Schmeichel, Ruud Hulett, uh Peter Drury is one of the commentators, Alex Scott, uh, Mika Richards, Kate Abdo as a presenter, and Clive Tiltley as a co- commentator. And I mentioned to Jim Beglin as one of the co-commentators. I'm sure there's going to be another co-commentator that's probably going to be uh, partnered with Clive Tiltley. But um, that's that's on the studio talent that they're doing out of London, which I think is a smart move, Kartik, especially with everything going on with the coronavirus and being able to have it's headquartered at least for this season in London rather than in New York where or someplace else in the United States where there'd be a lot more issues health-wise or trying to get talent to come into New York which some of the talent may say hey thanks but no thanks I'm, I'm staying where I'm staying um, and then the other thing then too so they do have uh, broadcasts coming out of New York and that's CBS Sports HQ which is their free uh, streaming channel which is available through CBS All Access and also available through the web and that has 24/7 sports news so everything from baseball to American football etc but also beginning Wednesday we had the the treat of seeing the brand new CBS Sports soccer analyst Ian Joy Ian Joy has been uh, hired by CBS Sports 
and played a key role on Wednesday as an analyst. And, and Kartik, he, he was on fire. I mean, he was really on point throughout the day. I was like, holy cow. We, we, you and I and, and most of our listeners know how good Ian Joy is. To me, this is perfect proof and an example of how Fox underutilized him. He is one of the best in the United States, and he was absolutely on fire. Yeah, he's one of the best in the business, and uh, he was very, very good in, in his uh, CVS debut. And uh, the the thing about Ian Joy that you're you're going to uh, see if you didn't follow him closely at Fox or BN is that he has a really deep understanding of of all of these leagues. So he knows, and I think he's per, a perfect fit for for continental football or European football because he understands uh, a, a lot of what goes on with Eastern European clubs. Obviously, knows the Bundesliga as well as anyone in the United States and also has a a deep understanding of of, of English and Scottish football, as well as uh, uh, the domestic scene because he uh, is American and played uh, uh, here domestically. So, uh, and played obviously a large portion of his career overseas as well. So he, he's been uh, able to translate that into, uh, into actually kind of, this specialty role where if you need someone, I would say he and Janus Mihalik are the two guys that know the most about the most number of leagues mm-hmm. uh, in, in Europe uh, in terms of analysts that are based in the United States uh, and are American, uh, uh, American, former yeah. American players. Right. Yeah. So uh, enjoy if you didn't, uh, watch him when he was at BN. He already had this niche at BN that was developing because BN was very focused on Spanish football, right? And their their the knowledge of some of their pundits when it got beyond La Liga, when they talked about other European leagues, wasn't there other than, of course, uh, Matteo Benetti. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it was phenomenal with Italy always. Uh, but uh, he developed that. Then he goes to Fox, uh, does Bundesliga, does some World Cup, right? Does some World Cup and, and U.S. stuff, but really kind of focuses on the Bundesliga Liga and Europa League, uh, when they had it, now uh, is probably able to, to, to do even more with CBS. And, and we saw on his first day how fantastic he was. Yeah, the, the interesting thing is to see what happens next season, to see if they continue with the London-based student, uh, talent. Uh, we know that Kate Abdo is going to continue for next season, um, but whether she'll be hosting in London or hosting in New York... And whether for the next season, whether it'll be, say, Ian Joy, Kate Abdo, and several talent members to be named, or if they continue going through London and having it headquartered there and running with that. Um, I mean, there's, there's, there's plenty of options. Right now, I think CBS made the right decision in going for this season with the London crew and then uh, making some key hires and then looking at next season and, and trying to figure out, okay, which is the best way for us to proceed. The CBS Sports HQ is what they did for anyone who missed it. Um, they had uh, pregame for about an hour before um, the games on Wednesday and then post-match. I'm not sure if you caught, if you caught the post-match, Kartik. No, I, I caught the pre-match. I didn't, I didn't catch post-match, the post-match. Post-match was even better than the pre-match. The post-match, um, they had Christina Uncle on to give um, her expertise on some of the the key refereeing decisions that happened. And there were some some big ones that happened in, uh, I think, the Shakhtar game and I think even the, the Inter game, yeah, the handball. So she went through in uh, just intimate detail as far as 
why the referee made those decisions. And some of them were really controversial as far as, I mean, for viewers like ourselves or for any enjoy looking at it, going like, why did the referee call it this way? Why did the referee give a red card in a situation? And she went through so much detail and explained step by step exactly what happened, why the referee made that decision. And that was that blew my mind. I was like, wow, that this is such good analysis and, and also good interaction between her and Ian Joy. I was like, this this is solid stuff. This is really good. Hopefully, and, and hopefully you, she'll continue. And you kind of saw how VAR worked in that Shakhtar uh, uh, Wolfsburg match because initially uh, the referee calls a penalty and Wolfsburg is going to have a penalty. The referee goes and looks at the uh, at the TV monitor, comes back with, it's not a penalty, but it is a red card offense, and ends up being a free kick outside the area. So uh, I, I would have loved to have seen, and I, yeah. I guess I can go back and watch it, Christina Uncle breaking down the decision-making for the referee, because that, I think, uh, uh, really kind of threw the commentator off, was that, wow, now, now it's a red card, but it's not a penalty. Um, by the way, uh, CBS, the first eight minutes or so of that Wolfsburg-Shaktar uh, match, uh, no audio, no 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 commentary. There was audio, uh, field sounds. Uh, it took them about eight minutes to get the commentator on. So I, I think that that was one little kink. Yep. But once it was figured, uh, once they once they got it right, uh, and that was their first match, obviously, it was fine for the rest of the way. Um, the 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 one thing I will complain about, and I and this is the same thing with ESPN Plus over the weekend with uh, the FA Cup final. Uh, ESPN Plus did a great pre-match show uh, for the FA Cup final. Same thing here with CBS, and, and I, I went through trying to find the match and, and losing the match and all that. I I uh, had been watching CBS Sports HQ uh, with uh, with the enjoying company in the pregame, and um, it didn't seamlessly go to the next game, right? You had to go find yeah. the game. And it was yeah. the same thing with ESPN Plus in the FA Cup final, uh, and and that. Uh, was a was a mistake for for me i had in cbs i kind of knew this was going to happen so i was prepared and, and i walked through that earlier in the show what i did to find the matches uh, before the, the little snafu with uh, when i switched to cnn but the uh espn does this great hour-long pregame show with uh hosted by Kay murray and with uh alexis nunez and, and don hutchinson at wembley and then I'm expecting it just to go into the FA Cup final. And it's like over and it's the ESPN thing comes up. Your program is over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That blue screen. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and it was, uh, I could, it, it was crazy. Yeah. I thought and then, yeah, I had to go back at ESPN plus it's it's more difficult to find things than in a lot of other streaming services that I had to go back and find the FA Cup final. I, I missed like the first two minutes of it because of that. Yeah, and it, it's one of those things, you know it's there, it's just trying to find it. Um, and, and same thing with CBS All Access and ESPN Plus. ESPN Plus, actually, the post-match FA Cup uh, coverage was fantastic between Dan Thomas and Craig Burley, and yeah. they brought in uh, Stuart Robson and Don Hutchinson from Wembley Way. Um, some really funny scenes there, and, but some good analysis. But, but, but going back to CBS All CBS All Access for a second, and actually, go, well, actually going back to CBS Sports HQ, some of the other names that they had um, available through through Skype or through, through Zoom, whatever it was, but through a broadcast was uh, they had uh, analysis from Hector Moreno, uh, Demarcus Beasley, who is now a new CBS Sports analyst. A little bit rough in patches, but I think he got better as, as the day went on. Uh, Jimmy Conrad. Who is now their their betting person, giving betting advice? That was, I mean, he's really excitable and 
uh, fun to watch. Uh, that was a, a different uh, role for him. He had uh, Jonathan Johnson, I think it is, John Legossip, yeah. um, a big uh, league uh, expert. He was on uh, Andrei Shevchenko. They had him giving some analysis to, and many, many others. And, and the presenter was uh, Poppy Miller, who I haven't had a chance to watch before, but I thought she did a great job. Overall, yeah, I was, I've, I've I was surprised. She, by the way, she, so uh, this is where, uh, where it, we have some when you have uh, uh, commentators who are associated with with uh, clubs in the lower divisions in U.S. soccer, which which I've actually uh, filled that role myself in the past. Poppy Miller uh, worked for the Charleston Battery for, for several seasons. I want to say like four years now, at least three or four years. And she's been phenomenal and she's gotten better and better as time uh, went on. So I thought that it was always kind of inevitable that she would be plucked uh, by a uh, by a big network. I assumed it would be for MLS matches. So it was really good to see her presenting and hosting uh, uh, for CBS uh, on uh, on Champions, or excuse me, on Europa League. And I think she'll have a, a bigger role as time uh, goes on. She could be uh, uh, the full-time host even in the studio. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to Friday's coverage of the Champions League from um, CBS All Access. Uh, of course, uh, I think some of those games are on, uh, actually two of the games this weekend are on CBS Sports Network. But um, I'm you know, very, very positive um, I think they're making all the right decisions. Um, again, the, the big question will mark will be for next season, whether to go with more of an American uh, talent crew or more of a European talent crew. Um, that's the big question that they have to decide. And maybe they, they go with the same approach that they, they've got now, which is CBS Sports HQ having more of the American feel to it. And then uh, the, the, the crew in London who are in IMG studios, them being more of the European centric, but uh so far, so good. Let's, let's hope that they continue uh, down this path, but uh, fingers crossed. All right, Kartik, let's move on to TV streaming news. Not a lot this week, which is okay, because we've got a ton of listener mailbag to go, get to. Yeah, so uh, the, the the big thing this week is, and, and it debuted uh, yesterday on Netflix, the Nicholas Anelka Misunderstood documentary. I have not watched it yet. I, I you don't want to watch it. It was on my uh, queue, and uh, but the, if you check out the trailer, it's fantastic, and it, and it, and it appears to be a very kind of no holes barred look at, uh, at Nicholas and Elka. They're not. Uh, they're they're not necessarily pushing back on his bad boy image uh but they are kind of kind of getting deeper into uh his influences his uh uh what, what drove him why he was such a great player for so long uh for me it's, it's particularly uh sentimental i think now anelka uh, as uh time has moved on has been remembered for whatever reason as a chelsea player because he, he spent uh, more time there at the end of his career and, and uh, obviously uh, missed an important penalty kick in uh, a Champions League final. Uh, but for me, he was for many years, uh, he had scored more goals for Manchester City than for any of his other clubs. And he was essentially the, a savior for our club at a time when um, other guys weren't weren't uh, scoring goals in the kind of quantities he was. And, and our in fact, our last win at Anfield was because uh, Anelka had a double uh, in stoppage time, right? We were down one nil and uh, two goals. That was in 2003 or 2004. So I'm really looking forward to watching this documentary. Also, uh, remember uh, just epically his uh, his bursting onto the scene for for France uh, at Wembley and scoring, uh, having a brace in that match uh, against England. And in what was a friendly in '99, but was uh, uh, came at a time when uh, uh, France was at top, on the top of the world and it felt like they couldn't get any better. And then this guy breaks into their squad and they win the Euros uh, the next year. 
Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. I am looking forward to watching it too. Uh, once I get a break from, you I mean some of these games are happening now, like daily with uh, with the uh, the UEFA competitions back, as well as MLS is back, as well as Liga MX, etc. But uh, I'm particularly interested to, to see what Anelka's take is on the whole uh, fight that happened on in in the training squad in 2010 with uh, Raymond Dominique, yes. the, the French manager, and, and what his side of the story is as far as what happened. And um, a lot of uh, controversy throughout Anelka's career, a lot of fantastic goals. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. It looks like it's well produced. And that is on Netflix. Last but not least in the news sec- section, and this is uh, breaking news, is that the Brazilian, Brazilian League is coming back to the United States. So the Brasileiro will be uh, available exclusively via Fanatis, the uh, soccer streaming service. So what happens is it's going to be $7.99 a month for the Brazilian package, and that will include uh, access to all of the games uh, live and on demand from the Brazilian league. So you're going to get some of the best teams from around the world, I mean, Corinthians, Palmeiras, uh, Gremio, etc., Flamengo. And uh, it's a separate package. So if you already have uh, Fanatis, you can get the Brazilian league package for an additional seven ninety nine a month. Or if you just want the Brazilian league and that's it, and you don't subscribe to Fanatis, you can get that for seven ninety nine a month. And they have a seven-day free trial too. So that's breaking news. Um, so check it out if you're into Brazilian soccer. Kartik, we've we, uh, enthused um, a lot about MLS's back. Uh, in the first segment, talking about all the innovations and and uh, how the league, the actual tournament has grown on me, and, and the actual uh, play has improved. Uh, the TV ratings, unfortunately, have not though. Kartik, if anything, they, they've dipped quite considerably. Um, partly due to, I think, you mean the return of American sports. You mean baseball games, uh, basketball games, etc. But that that's uh, that's probably the only disappointment, really, major disappointment from the MLS's back um, throughout the whole tournament, really. And um, I mean, to me, these MLS numbers make the Bundesliga TV ratings look really good from from during that uh, the pandemic stage where the Bundesliga came back. What do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, unfortunately, I think it's just. Uh, I don't know. We've gone through it the last few weeks, right? I, I think that there's been this uh, lack of coverage in, in the mainstream media, this kind of inherent uh, anti-soccer bias that that that, that is built into uh, what uh, uh, what what people have thought, and there has been no uh, real, uh, unfortunately, uh, effort in the mainstream sports media to credit MLS. Uh, there've been a couple of, uh, occasional times where, uh, I'm trying, I'm blanking out on it. I, I think it was a, a former NBA player who gave MLS a lot of credit for, for, for what they were doing. But uh, generally it's not, uh, it's, it's not there in the mainstream media and the matches being in prime time now competing with, uh, American sports with, with baseball or basketball have just, uh, plummeted the ratings. And it's, uh, he, I thought, was going to be a big test of, of how MLS did uh, at a time when uh, uh, when there was less going on in sports and more people sitting at home, not being out and about, and, and, and uh, had assumed the ratings would get much higher, and, and they haven't. And, yeah. and I'm, quite frankly, I mean, you can hear it in my voice. I'm quite frankly depressed about it and annoyed. I'm annoyed at the American sports media, but I guess that's been the theme of this podcast for the last, last uh, four <laughs> three weeks years. or so. <laughs> three yeah, years. Well, three years, right. <laughs> but I'm annoyed at, at the mainstream I, sporting press that just does not uh, – just seems to act like MLS doesn't exist, really. Yeah. 
I, I'm starting to think, Kartik, this is a much bigger problem. It's not just the US media, but it's it's a soccer problem. You mean, you look at the number of soccer fans that watch the sport in this country, and if you combine Liga Max, you know, Premier League, Bundesliga, you get down the list and combine all of those leagues together and put them into one big bucket, and it's a huge bucket. That, that Those numbers are large. Or the, the number of people that watch um, the women's national team or the US men's national team, put it all into one bucket and how many people are actually are interested in soccer. In how, how many, you mean millions, tens of millions that, that is. And then you look at the, the Major League Soccer numbers, and some of the numbers, I mean, we'll have have them all at worldsoccertalk.com later this week, but 238,000 was the biggest number we saw, which was uh, Philly against uh, Sporting Kansas City on ESPN. I believe that was in prime time. I mean, and then some of the numbers, 122,000 people for NYCFC against Portland on FS1 um, Saturday night. So these, these, are, these are numbers that are very similar to regular MLS season. And it tells me that people who watched regular MLS season in last year or a couple of years ago, whenever, are, are watching the tournament this summer. Nobody else is. I mean, very few people from there are massive fans of Liga Max, massive fans of Premier League clubs or wherever, whatever the, fa- the fans are, women's soccer. They're not tuning into these games. And, and why is that? What is it about Major League Soccer? Which, which I think, I think the problem, part of the problem is, is that it has a, a stigma attached to it. That it's inferior. It's the the quality level isn't as good. So the, I mean, the the players aren't as good. There's a lot of things that there are in that MLS stigma. A lot of them are incorrect. A lot of them are uh, old and dated and 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 not uh, not fair. But that is the stigma. Um, that's part of the problem. And I think, but to me, to me, looking at these numbers. It's almost as if it is. It is. It's, it's soccer fans rebelling against this MLS product uh, for a number of reasons. Pro Rel is one of those, one of probably 10 or 15 different reasons why. But it, it's a serious problem. And I think that um, MLS is quietly probably probably realizing that themselves too and trying to figure out how the heck do we improve this. And, and, and it is a big problem. It's fixable. It's going to take years to fix but it's a massive problem, which is the perception of Major League Soccer. Moving on to list of mailbag, uh, first up is Jose Acevedo. And Jose says, uh, CBS taking a page off the pre-2011 March Madness playbook with a whip-around format for these round of 16 matches. So I think that was when we were t- talking in last week's podcast about how uh, CBS could, if, uh, CBS Sports Network could, if they wanted to, go ahead um, mid-game or at some point during a game, even if it's say Juventus against Lyon, switch it to to the other the other game, or actually the other way around. But um, that's what uh, Jose's take on is on this. I did get clarification not this week with a, a conference call with uh, CBS Sports, and I spoke to their top producer for the soccer coverage, and he said, "No, no, 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 it's, it's not like that. What it is, it might be that say ten minutes to go in a game." And say uh, one of the teams has a aggregate, maybe four one or five one lead in that game, and it's you know, almost impossible for that other team to bounce back and, and win that game. Uh, with ten minutes to go, they might go ahead and say, "Hey, we're going to go ahead and switch coverage now to the other game," which may have more meaning in terms of you mean the last ten minutes and something could happen in that game. So it's not as bad as as it first sounded. 
Yeah, uh, because I, I will say in that college basketball time period, honestly, I, it was so annoying because they would they would change they would switch matches, switch games uh, right in the middle. Uh, there were times that I was focused on a, a specific team and I uh, missed large part portions of the game, uh, and that changed when Turner became a co partner of theirs in NCAA tournament coverage. But at one time, the entire tournament, every single match, every single game was on CBS, and there is as, as people who follow college basketball know all these games are simultaneous so um so many of them they would just switch back and forth randomly during games so i'm relieved to hear that's not going to be what happens yeah so we have a lot of feedback about um about u.s soccer oh, actually u.s sports media and uh the poor ratings that uh, MLS's back has gotten and uh, kind of and also how a lot of sports talking heads uh, ignore soccer. First up is Kyle Green. Kyle says, I have some experience being a fan of a sport that was trying to grow its fan base. Growing up a Detroit Red Wings fan in the NHL, I had to suffer through the Fox era with the glowing puck and other attempts to, sh- to grab a share of the generic sports audience. I remember the early NBCSN era and them straining uh, an, uh, uh, an, uh, analogies to mainstream U.S. sports. Okay, I got it. It, it made me cringe. I know other sports are, most, are more co- culturally embedded, so don't feel the need to do this. But if I've learned anything from being a hockey guy for 30-plus years, it's that it's best to keep the long-time fans happy than upset them in an unlikely bid to draw in potential skeptic or hostile fans of U.S. mainstream sports. Also, during a recent show, Kartik mentioned a book he was reading about English football. Could you let me know what that is? Kartik, which which book is is that that you're reading? Which book was it that I was reading? Um, First off, on the NHL commentary, the hockey commentary, uh, spot on. I think that that's... uh, that, 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 that's a really uh, important uh, point because I've heard that from my, my hockey fan friends, uh, not only about Fox, but about NBC at the beginning. And there was a period in between Fox and NBC when ESPN uh, had uh, exclusive uh, uh, hockey rights before it went to Versus and NBC. And uh, the, the coverage was much more kind of hockey centric, like ho- hockey speak versus um, mainstream American sports uh, analogies when it was on uh, ESPN, believe it or not, because I know a lot of people think in this day and age, and I'm talking about 20 years ago now, in this day and age, ESPN tries to dumb down some of their coverage to to make it very Americanized. But we see with soccer, they don't do that. So that was the experience with hockey. I'm trying to remember which which book. The David Goldblatt book? Maybe. Oh, uh, well, oh, yeah, the the uh, um, the well, in fact, I have it right here. Let me let me look at what it's called. The Age of Football. That's it. And um, that is going to give you every kind of like socioeconomic and political look at the sport uh, at this point in time uh, from about 2005 onwards. And, and the book came out around Christmas time this past year. So basically, I think the cutoff is is. Uh, toward the end of the 2019 uh, uh, club season. So it's going to give you just kind of in, in the very David Goldblatt narrative fashion. Uh, <laughs> so that's quite good. And then um, there is actually a, uh, a book about uh, English football called The Game that's just come out that I want to, uh, I, I want to check out and read. And, and that's a more photo journal of English football. So maybe we'll talk about that on the podcast in the coming weeks. 
So Michael says, I love your show and I listen every week, but I don't understand trying to compete with American sports culture. America has football because rugby was brought over from across the pond. We we wanted our own version of the gladiator sport. America loves baseball because it's our version of cricket. Even as far back as the Civil War in the mid-19th century, the soldiers on both sides played baseball uh, when there were lulls and fighting. Instead of trying to change culture, we should try to just put a better product out there. I didn't get into soccer until I was in my 30s, but now a decade later, I love it. I still love uh, American football, basketball, baseball, tennis, and track and field, etc. When I saw quality products, I got hooked. Until then, I completely ignored soccer. But then when I saw uh, Thierry Henry in the World Cup, I was impressed. That started me to look into researching Arsenal, and, and at that time, they were the best in the Premier League. And I was impressed with the quality of play. That eventually led me to Barcelona and I saw Ronaldinho. I was amazed at his skill. I was also fell in love with the version of soccer that La Liga played compared to the Premier League. I still wasn't a diehard, but I kept watching because it was more entertaining than a lot of the movies and entertainment at the time. Then for that small brief time, Messi, Ronaldinho and Henri... We're on the same team. Wow, I was hooked for life. All if, if all I had to watch was MLS caliber soccer during that time, I would have never converted. What got me was watching the best of the best. I know it's easier said than done, but if the quality of the soccer improves, the fans will come. Well, anyway, another great podcast. We don't have to agree on everything. 99% is good enough. And and that's um, an important point, Kartik, and something that uh, I don't think we've mentioned. We've mentioned in the past a long time ago, but the importance of World Cups and what World Cups do as far as attracting viewers in the United States and having them um, get an understanding of the game, but then having them gravitate to a, a league, whether it's the Premier League, whether it's Liga MX, La Liga in this case, or um, Major League Soccer, whichever. And that's such an important, uh, almost like a a gateway drug. And with the U.S. not being in in the last World Cup, that has a lot of hurtful ramifications. That's going to set soccer back in this country in many ways because there definitely weren't as as large a numbers as what we're used to if the U.S. is in that World Cup. But that's one point I wanted to mention that um, I've been meaning to mention in the last few podcasts. Next up is David Roberts. David says, uh, you know, listening to you guys talk about the sorry state of U.S. soccer broadcasting, I feel compelled to ask you to do something. It's been almost 10 summers now that I last stepped foot in a newsroom as I spent a good chunk of my formative years working in local news in New Mexico, Wichita, Kansas and Miami. In all those days, I was always interested in finding a soccer related story to pitch whether it was about a soccer camp for kids or a standout college player who got a look from an MLS team. Sometimes I got to do them. Um, sometimes I didn't, I didn't, but I would like to urge every young person out there who is actively trying to change the soccer landscape in this country to give serious thought about going to broadcasting school and working at a TV station uh, website uh, or radio station. It's hard work to change a culture but if we have a generation of soccer fans working at it bit by bit, we can. So there's a call to arms, Kartik. Um, yeah, and, and good words there from, from Dave Roberts and good advice yep. for anyone who is interested and, and does want to make a change. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. And next up is uh, Rico Richardson. He says, I don't see how blaming the media or certain media people for the status of soccer in the U.S. It's still 
it still has been an immigrants foreigners game to most American people. And I think that's the perception, but I think that's the perception that is a perception from U.S. media talking heads that don't understand soccer. I mean, soccer, there's been leagues in this country since, what, the early 1900s? This game has been played in this country for more than 100 years. Yes, in the beginning, it was immigrants, whether it was... uh, I mean, Irish teams or Italian teams, uh, etc., playing in the New York and kind of Northeast region. It's now been over 100 years of soccer played here, and I don't think it's a foreigner's game anymore. That is the perception, that is the stereotype that uh, U.S. media like to present soccer as, or, or even just that that soccer-hating person that I think all of us know, there's always that one guy or, or more that like, ah, that's a game for foreigners. Well, it isn't. Yeah. It isn't by, by any means anymore. Right, and they uh, they kind of perpetuate those myths, and I think those myths are, are still very alive, even in interacting with just kind of lay people who uh, are talking about baseball and and and, and uh, football now uh, in the midst of COVID. They're like, ah, well, that's that's uh, European or that's la- Latino. Do you have to? Are there matches on in English? Aren't all the matches just on in Spanish? Uh, type of thing, and there's a very uh, very kind of condescending uh, narrative that it takes when uh, when you have those conversations. Next up is Mike Harstad, and Mike says, On the social stigma of watching soccer, I've had many bad encounters at suburban bars and restaurants when asking to put on soccer. Once I even had a drunk guy take a swing at me and missed. It was actually hilarious. You'd have to pay me to watch ESPN normally when there's no soccer on. Nico Casas says, uh, your past three episodes has been reaffirming my belief that the American mainstream media continues to ignore soccer. I listen to roughly 25 podcasts a week. I watch local news and national news, and it befuddles me next that uh, Major League Soccer and, and NWSL are playing outstanding and classic tournaments with little to no interruptions from COVID-19. These media outlets continue to ignore domestic soccer. Listening to the New York Times, um, the Daily podcast uh, recently, talking about the MLS, uh, actually the, the Major League Baseball strike, and I don't, I really don't expect them to mention soccer. But uh, I'm receiving my weekly newsletter uh, from. Mikey Barb, I think it is. The subject line was Life Without Sports, with a little write-up by uh, a writer about Major League Baseball's failures. He claims that at least we have the NBA. There's been a sport, There's been sports going on. What are the New York Times and the Daily talking about? I also listened to uh, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, uh, like a therapeutic podcast, and um, he's a huge college basketball fan. And he mentioned the NBA on many occasions, especially with the bubble. There was no mention of NWSL or MLS with the bubble. Uh, Wouldn't woke uh, CNN fans want to know this? And he goes on and on and on about, about this. Um, My question is, let me me just finish up. So my question is to the the fans of the beautiful game, what should we do? Should should we send angry, angry tweets whenever someone, uh, mainstream media ignores soccer, emails to editors, or just accept that there will always be a fringe sport like golf, tennis, or NASCAR. I really don't know. So, so the CNN coverage, I, I'm glad you mentioned that, thank you, really frustrated me, and it is actually what sent me over the edge when I uh, tweeted that thing the, the night of one of the MLS's back matches that then Taylor Twelman, who was commentating on the match uh, minutes later, uh, retweeted and, and, and got a lot of traction. Uh, I, I was actually watching CNN at the time because CNN was talking about the return to sports, and they were talking specifically about the NBA. And 
I was so frustrated because it's the same network that is quite, yep, kind of woke, uh, definitely uh, leans left in their political coverage, no question about that, and had had Commissioner Garber on a live broadcast, a live news show just a few days earlier talking about MLS returning and had uh, uh, done a whole feature on the Bundesliga returning during their news programs. But then there's this bleacher report aspect of uh, uh, of, uh, of uh, news that seeps into CNN's coverage. So then when they ever they go to talk about sports, and they've done it actually this morning, I have it on and CNN on, and, uh, ironically enough, Dr. Sanjay Gupta speaking right now. I have CNN on as we're recording this it's on mute obviously but i just saw a whole thing a bleacher report uh segment where there was no mention of soccer right it's it's basketball it's baseball it's american football it's uh yukon uh canceling their season in college football so i think there's this americanization from the american sports uh desk at bleacher report that seeps into cnn's coverage now when cnn which is an international network has had the occasion to actually do something editorial through their news division they have covered the Bundesliga. That was covered as a news story. Uh, MLS, uh, Don Garber came on and our news block with Brianna Keeler, who I think everybody knows is, is a political reporter, is a political person. So uh, I think that there is a, a split here where CNN knows their audience is very woke and is probably into soccer, uh, the, 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 the kind of the political side of it. But then there's the, like the newsy side of it where they're still very American and very traditional. So, uh, yeah, thank you for that, uh, that, that, that uh, feedback, because I have been equally frustrated, particularly by CNN uh, and by MSNBC, by the way. Same thing. They, they, they yeah. acted the same way. Yeah, for me personally, I don't watch much news. I mean, because I, I, I'm not into politics that much. And so I just stay away from all of that just because I got better things for me personally that, that I enjoy doing. So, and a lot of it is soccer. I mean, that that is kind of my, my love. I, I got many loves, but, but soccer is one of my greatest loves, always has been my, my whole entire life. So for me personally, I have access to more soccer now than I've ever done and get to enjoy watching broadcasts from around the world, including the United States. And I kind of just focus on that. And, and rather than trying to, it'd be the same thing if somebody came to me you mean knocking at my door saying like hey you you need to love american football here's the reasons why isn't it great blah 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 and it'd be so annoying so for me too personally like in the past i've um coached a lot of youth teams uh, my wife is is a co soccer coach uh anytime i'm talking to someone about soccer and, the, and it comes up we'll have kind of a a nice frank conversation about why i think it's so great and so on and so forth but I'm not on a mission to change you know, in the United States and get people uh, understanding or liking soccer. I think it has to come naturally. And I think it's one of those things that um, it's frustrating that the U.S. media is not paying attention to it or not even giving it the time of day. Um, but I, it's, it's, it's very difficult to change people's perceptions and, and people's uh, knowledge of, of, of sports, specifically soccer in this country. By the way, that book, uh, just backtracking a minute ago, is What You Think You Know About Football Is Wrong by Kevin Moore. And it's a book that was sent to me, actually, by one of our listeners, Robert Thompson. So that was actually the book I think we were uh -huh. referring to, because that's a, a, very, a very kind of anglicized book, but really takes uh, a lot of shots at what the English perceive in football, uh, which is a lot of the same biases I complain about in, in English commentary. Uh, Kevin Moore goes after. Uh, good timing. Yeah, good timing on that one too, Karthik, because Robert Hay just wrote a book review on that one. And we're going to publish it on worldsoccertalk.com within the next day or two. So check that out too for uh, some more uh, thoughts and opinions about that book.
Moving on, Disco George says, about the crowd the crowd noise in MLS's back, I would watch a, a near-silent broadcast with John Champions John Champion being snarky against uh, Taylor Twelman every single time over some of the messiness of Fox's crowd noise. There were matches in the group stage where the sound balance between the commentators and the fake crowd noise was terrible. The crowd noise was cranked up way too loud. For the knockout rounds, they've been trying to import uh, teams' home stadium songs and chants, and it takes you right out of the match itself at times. And I noticed them play in RSL's Believe in the first half when San Jose was passing circles around uh, Real Salt Lake, which was super weird. They also used the LAFC uh, Dale uh, chant at sometimes too. It's just way too extra for my taste. So yeah, I agree that um, too much is 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 I mean is too much. Um, but sometimes I think with, with John Champion and, and Taylor Twelman, especially in those earlier games, earlier in the, the stages of the tournament, it was too little because there was, I mean, nothing going on in the game. Uh, both Taylor and John were pretty quiet and it felt like I was just watching paint dry at times. Uh, as the tournament's gotten better and you're hearing more of the natural sounds and the playing, the actual action on the pitch has gotten better. Then John Champion and Taylor have gotten more talkative at times. Having said that, too, I was watching Wednesday night's uh, game, the Portland-Philadelphia game, with um, John Strong and Stu Holden. And while I think that John Strong is a good commentator, he just, he just talks way too much, just too much stats. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's just this guy's just in almost like a broken racket going over and over and over again. I'm, I'm like, okay, just just talk about the game itself that's being played in front of your eyes, please. <laughs> it, that just felt like too much. But as far as the crowd noise, I think um, the Europa League has it and it sounds it sounds good. It doesn't sound, doesn't get in my way, but I can see that if it's too much and uh, tries too hard, sometimes it, it can be uh, a negative there. Just a few more comments to go. Uh, Ted Hill says, just now finishing the podcast, loved the discussion on MLS being uh, being between a typical American sports and Euro-style soccer leagues. Definitely agree that the time is now to choose a path either way. Personally, I think they should align with world soccer. Ibrahim says, I'm a big fan, been following you guys since 2012. So I'm on my phone with my cable company, Spectrum, who I've been paying $120 a month, mainly to watch Arsenal FC, and I am cancelling my cable service. My question is to you, if I subscribe to this new Peacock uh, premium service, will I get access to the same games I had on my cable channel plus NBC Sports Gold next season? And the answer is no, unfortunately. I mean, so that's the thing. So with CBS All Access, I love it because you get access to all the games. With Peacock Premium, you will get access to 46% of the Premier League games next season. Now, those remaining, what, 54% of games, uh, some of them you will be able to catch on NBC over the air. If it's an Arsenal game or on a Saturday at 12.30 Eastern time, that you can watch for free if you have a pair of rabbit ears or an indoor HD antenna. So... The over-the-air NBC games plus Peacock Premium will give you about, I think, about 55% of the games. So there's another 45% of the games that you have to worry about. And then at that point, you would have to subscribe to either, like, say, a Fubo TV uh, or a YouTube TV or a cable service or satellite service to watch those remaining games. And, and some of those will be Arsenal games. Those are the games that are going to be on NBCSN. So, yeah, I'm, I'm frustrated with uh, NBC's uh, offering, but um, 
it is what it is right now. I mean, they're not going to change it anytime soon. Mike Zale says, regarding last week's podcast, and most specifically the discussion on why the NFL has an unbreakable hold in American culture, to me the reason is quite simple, betting and gambling. For years, I was an NFL season ticket holder for my local team, and I was amazed at the number of people sitting around me who had more interest in individual player stats and what was going on in other games around the league than the team they spent $100 or more to see in person. Their reason, fantasy football. Fantasy football and sites like DraftKings and FanDuel have given even more casual NFL fans a sense that they can successfully pick a lineup that will win them money. That said, in many ways, the NFL has become very predictable. For example, Patrick Mahomes Mahomes is always going to be involved in three touchdowns every game, and the Dolphins will always be among the teams that surrender the most points. On the other hand, soccer is very difficult to predict. Yes, one can bet on soccer matches or even have a fantasy team, but the chances of winning money are less likely than in the NFL. So while the unpredictability of soccer has greatly contributed to it becoming my favorite sport, that same unpredictability is what keeps other people away. I, I'm not convinced on that one, Kartik. I, I mean, I know Major League, Major League Soccer MLS has gone in big with betting, and even if you listen to some of the MLS's back commentaries, you got Teller Twelman talking a lot more about betting and Vegas odds and those things more than we've ever heard really from soccer coverage or soccer Even the MLS site is now uh, you know, yeah. featuring that, which is on the score ticker, which is a very uh, uh, marked departure from the past. Yeah, and, and, and without a doubt, gambling is big and becoming bigger, and the NFL is you know, linked really, really closely with that. I don't see that as being a soccer problem, though, and I don't think that's going to change uh, soccer. I don't know for the future; it makes it more popular or less popular because of that. Next up, uh, Dave Bronk says, "Hey guys, quality work as always. I listened to this past week's podcast over two runs, and I wish I had a piece of paper and pen with me each time." A few reactions I have when people talk about English soccer, it's often often mentioned that it's tribal. You root for your local team. I feel the NBA, the NFL is very similar. I've been lucky enough to go to both Premier League and NFL games, and there are a lot of similarities. Premier League uh, teams have chants. NFL teams have phrases that are cheered. Premier League uh, walk up to the stadium is a sea of the same like-minded fans. Tailgating and walking up to the NFL stadium gates is very much the same. His next point is, I agree that EFL championship games are generally uh, more exciting than the Premier League. Unpredictable, skilled youngsters and something to play for draw me in. I'm not excited to sign up for another streaming service where the only thing I I may be interested in is the Champions League. I plan to use Galavision and work on my Spanish. Regarding MLS's back, the games I watched early on were super physical and inconsistently refereed once the Houston Dynamo were knocked out due to two controversial calls against the LA teams. It just reinforced my thoughts that the league is so biased against the non-LA and NYC teams. Thanks again for the discussion and in-depth knowledge you share. Dave says, and this is the last uh, uh, comment in the list of the mailbag, I feel the discussion regarding club versus national team soccer is very important to understand the sports place in our country. 
You guys have mentioned that ratings for club soccer are low compared to other broadcasts. However, the ratings for the World Cup and Gold Cup have drawn very high numbers. For example, over 26 million saw the 2014 World Cup final, including 17 million on ABC. That's more than what non-NFL broadcasts usually bring in. Also, almost 9 million people watched the recent uh, Gold Cup final. I feel the reason for this is one you guys have discussed previously. In America, when people think soccer, they think national teams competing in the World Cup rather than clubs competing in the Champions League or MLS. If soccer is going to become a full-time sport rather than a summer-only event, sports media will have to give more coverage to the Champions League and other club competitions. So while I agree with that, having the Champions League primarily on CBS All Access is not going to help that. If anything, it's going to you mean, kind of put them in, into a corner and say, OK, well, I mean, most mainstream sports fans in the United States and not going to find those games. I mean, I think CBS All Access has about 4 million subscribers. Uh, ESPN Plus, I believe, is 8 million subscribers. But uh, those are very siloed. I mean, those are not your, uh, I don't know, um, what, ESPN with what, 80, 85 million subscribers. So it is, um, that's not going to change it, unfortunately. But it is a good point from Drew. Any thoughts on that, Kartik, about the, the national versus club soccer side of things? Yeah, I think that's a really good, uh, a really good point. And uh, I, I even got confronted with that this week, which was basically someone saying to me, "Oh, uh, they've checked out of sports completely. They're not, and they're agreeing with me. It's a political person. They're agreeing with me about this NFL and Major League Baseball. What, how horrible it is, and our country has our priorities all wrong in the middle of COVID. But the one sporting event they still watch is the World Cup because it's quick and it, and it, and it means more and etc. And then I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Those guys who play in the World Cup, they don't play in a vacuum. They don't just play every four <laughs> years. There's stuff going on in between. Oh, I'm not interested in that. So it, 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 it's uh, and this is an, an American, you know, a, actually a prominent American person in politics that uh, you know, a, a person that comes on CNN and MSNBC and those channels who's telling me they, like hey, the only sport he watches is the World Cup, and that's that's soccer to him is this international thing every four years, and he hates American sports now because he he agrees that they've uh, they, they've been corrosive on society particularly in coronavirus. So I think it's, uh, it, it, it is a perception a lot of Americans have of the sport is that the national teams uh, are, are somehow uh, uh, dominant or, or, or take precedent over club teams, which is, is not the case. Yeah, I, I mean, the reality is, I think that for all of us in our lifetime here, like myself, yourself, Kartik, and, and listener, uh, you too, is that soccer is not go- going to become more popular than the NFL in this country. I mean, that's a pipe dream. That's not, that's not going to happen anytime soon. Uh, yes, it's going to eat away and, and, and become uh, bigger as time goes on, but it's a slow, very slow gradual increase in this country and it's one of those things again the only thing that could possibly change it that could cause a spike is the u.s men's national team winning a world cup i'm not seeing that happening anytime soon so the reality is we're in it for the long term we love the sport if you love the sport uh enjoy it maybe share it with some friends now and again but you mean uh i wouldn't get too caught up or hung up on the U.S. media ignoring it. Yes, it's frustrating. Uh, yes, we can call them out on it. Yes, we can go ahead and go to broadcast school and become a broadcaster and and try to educate educate people that way. Um, but at the end of the day, we all love the sport, no matter what, and, and no one else is going to change that. 
So listeners, we want you to have your say, any thoughts, uh, observations, feedback, or questions, questions about streaming, questions about television coverage, questions about the, the, the Brazilian, Brazilian League, you name it. Let us know. We want you to have your say. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. Kartik, uh, thanks for sticking with us. Uh, you can get a new episode every Thursday. Where can listeners uh, find you on Twitter to get your thoughts on everything from hurricanes to um, to COVID numbers to soccer coverage and much, much more? And then what should they do this weekend? It's KKFLA 737. And with Champions League coming back, enjoy your football. <laughs>